closer, 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 draw near to God. And we'll probably end up here, but James chapter 4 says in verse 8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You wonder why you don't feel near to God? It's not God's fault. You don't have to talk him into anything. He's there. It's us. You've got to make a move. And why wouldn't you? Huh? Why wouldn't you? I mean, this is the best thing ever. There is nothing like this. You can't get enough of this. We're talking about God who just spoke the word. And galaxies and the whole universe just came into being. We're talking about the God that holds every atom, every molecule together by his power. That God who created you, he's the owner, the creator of the universe. He, wants, he, he loves you more than you can even understand what love is. He proved it on planet earth, in person, in the flesh, on the cross. You say you're not worth much? Look at the price he's already paid for you. I mean, there is nothing like this. In Psalm 73, listen how he comes out with this thing. I'm going to read. Now, don't look at the whole thing. Well, yeah, you'll see the whole thing. We're going to look at the whole thing. But I want you to look at verse 25. Because he comes to this realization. This is a psalm of Asaph. And, you know, it's kind of like this guy was a Levite, and he was one of the families that was appointed to just minister. I mean, he w- you don't believe in music ministry and worship leaders? Did you know in the Old Testament, we're not talking about Spirit-filled New Testament, we're talking about Old Testament, when not even everybody was filled with the Spirit. It was very mysterious, in fact. And they're under the law, which there was still plenty of grace involved, right? Because, you know, you could just put faith in God's plan, and he put off judgment of your sins, and you can have, yeah, right? And so, so grace and faith is all the way through. Don't get me wrong. But he even appointed in the tabernacle, in the temple that was built, where they had to come to experience the presence of God, instead of the presence of God being in all of them, they had to come there. He even appointed different family lines to lead in not just singing, but in music, because many of them were involved with several different types, even mentions types of instruments that they used, and yes, even cymbals and percussion. I, well, I just said that because I can remember, you know, growing up where, well, those, those things are, you know, it's, uh, yeah, the devil or something. I don't know. But, uh, but Asaph and then his family line, and you'll, you'll see some, his sons and, and the carried on, they were like worship leaders as people came together in the Old Testament, the temple. So this is a psalm of his. You think, man, there's a guy that has dedicated his life and a whole family to just the worship of God to just the singing of psalms and praise and songs of thanksgiving and hallelujah and all of the halals, all that. But yet, he has some bad days. You ever have a bad day? Listen how he comes out in worship, though. Let's start there in verse 25. Look at verse 25. Now I'm reading from the New King James. You follow along, whatever you have there. It says, he says, Whom have I in heaven? I mean, who else is out there? No one. Who else do I have in heaven but you? 
And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. I don't desire anything. I don't desire money. I don't desire fame. I don't desire this. I don't desire this. Nothing I desire. My heart yearn. I yearn for you, God, just like I yearn for a drink of water on a hot day. I desire you. There's nothing on earth that I desire like you. Boy, that sounds strong, doesn't it? This guy's on fire. He says, my flesh and my heart fail. Does anybody have a problem with their flesh failing them? Huh? I mean, you know, we have those bouts of, of injury and sickness, and then now I'm beginning to experience a whole new world with just like getting older and things just being different, right? And it's just like keeps going, amen. See Daryl over here shaking his head. Yeah, amen, you got it. Uh, and, and so the flesh will fail, and, and that happens. It happens, and it's happening. And then he says, he says my, my um, flesh and my heart fails. My heart, that's, you know, emotionally, mentally, uh, um, psychologically, my soul, that mind, will, and emotion. There are times that I get down. My flesh fails and my heart fails. But he says, but God. Amen? But God is the strength of my heart. I can't just pump myself up. I just can't pull myself together. I just can't pull. And whether you say pull myself up by my bootstraps I don't, I guess I, I don't have any straps uh, on my boots, but anyway, I guess you could do that at one time, but you know what the saying is, you can't do that because your strength will fail, you're limited, God is infinite, he's unlimited, it says, but God, but God is, God is, amen, God is, he is, and because he is, he is all of these things, and he is the strength, it's not my strength, it's his strength, he is the strength of my heart, he says. He is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Everything else is going to come to an end, but because of that relationship, I have God, and God is, and God is in my life, and He is my portion forever and ever and ever. It'll never end. Then he says, For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for for, for harlotry. And harlotry is, he uses like an image there of someone who leaves God to go back into the world is like somebody that's like, it's like being unfaithful to your spouse. And you desert God that way. And you, you're going all after, you're gonna, God's going to deal with you. And he says, but me. <laughs> Others may, and, I, and there's people around me that are forsaking God and going after the world. But he said, but me. He says, it is good for me to draw close. Huh? Do you see that? It is good for me to draw near to God. It is good for me. Can you say that about yourself? It is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I might declare all your works. I can't keep my mouth shut about it. I'm going to testify. I'm going to let other people know. Amen? And that's what he says. That seems strong. But I got to tell you, every day you don't start out that way. When you read the very first of this, it's like um, this guy was down in the dumps. And I'm glad when some of these psalms, they were psalms that were used in worship, but it tells a story. And, and you see David many times crying out for God to even crush his enemies and all those people who are trying to trap him and trigger him. But you, just, you get to hear the anguish that even comes out. And some of it isn't, isn't right that I feel this way. 
And there were some feelings that he expresses in this psalm that was written, think about this, thousands and thousands of years ago in a different language in Hebrew that now we have all these thousands of years later and we're reading it and talking about it in our crazy world that they couldn't have even imagined that we live in 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 the 21st century in English in America and it's still the same thing. It still applies. Isn't that amazing? So uh, this is the thing that, that we begin to see here, that it is, God is beyond our ability to comprehend. And so how can I not want to respond to him? If God is God, how can we ignore him? And knowing him through a personal relationship with Christ, if I've really come into that, it opens the opportunity for infinite love and hope and joy and peace and power to be unleashed in and through my life. If I try to do things on my own, that's not going to happen. But because of him, if God is God, how can I just ignore him? I mean, if you really believe that God is who he says he is, how can you live like it don't matter? So there's a disconnect here somewhere. So let's talk about the big idea. Is that when you really, and this is what happens to him during this psalm, that he just, he just gives us a testimony here. When you see God as he really is, you will want to do as God says. You will. You will want to. You will desire to do. Because a lot of times we're just kind of like, man, I, got, I just need to straighten up, man. I know I've got this and I've got that. And I just, you know, I just can't make myself. Listen, your problem is, yeah, it's you. <laughs> You're the problem, not God. But the problem is the fact that you may be trying to do it on your own and you're not seeking that relationship and drawing closer to him. But as you get closer to God and closer to God, it's going to affect you. It's going to change you. And when you begin to see this, you're going to want. You're going to have a desire to want to do what God says. You begin to hang around with God. It changes you. Amen? I mean, if you hang around something radioactive, you're going to come out glowing in the dark, right? It, it, has, it has an effect on you. And you get close to God and you hang with God's people, it will affect you. It will begin to change you. So most of our problems that we have can be traced to this. This is why we need to be in the Word, because He's given us His Word to teach us. And we've been studying Sunday school in my class today about how that He tells us in the, in the, in the Bible that when we're newly saved, that we're like a baby, a baby Christian, right? And as a baby, we're to desire the milk of the word, right? The milk of the word. Peter tells us that. And so like a baby can't eat steak, right? Uh, they have to have milk. But they also, they have a natural desire for that, don't they? I mean, they start to get a little hungry and they're going to let you know it. They have a desire to want to partake of the milk, okay? Uh, so if you're really saved, there ought to be something inside you, the Holy Spirit moving your heart, that you ought to have a desire, but you need to get some milk or you'll gag. I, it bothers me when so many young Christians immediately want to jump in and discover all the mysteries in Ezekiel uh, or the last part of Daniel or Revelation. You need some milk. You need to, Because it's not about you knowing all this stuff. It's about you drawing close to God and knowing Him and growing. But then there's also a problem if you've been saved 20 or 30 years and you're still on the bottle. You know what I'm saying? You need to be able to get some strong meat. You need to grow if you're going to be healthy. So sometimes we're unhealthy, and, and it causes all these uh, areas that are weak that Satan can attack. But when we see God as he really is, we'll want to. We'll desire. We'll have a desire. And so a lot of our, our, our problems are traced to this perspective on God. Most of our problems can be traced to that, is that we don't really know him like 
We need to know him. We're not drawing near. We're not drawing close. Did you notice what he said there at the end of this? He says, it's good for me to draw near, to get closer. And nothing else in our lives comes into proper focus or perspective until we have that deep, personal, intimate knowledge of God and that relationship that we have with him through Jesus Christ, through his word, our hearts and minds illuminated by his presence, his spirit. Until we have that, we're not going to, I mean, you're not going to know yourself until you know the one who made you and made the universe, right? So if you're out there just trying to find yourself first, you're never going to find yourself. What you do is find the Lord and get closer to him. And then that's when everything else begins to get in perspective and come together. And that's exactly what happened to the guy who wrote this under inspiration of the Spirit to write this down so we could have it today. Because, listen, only God can make sense of your, mex- of your messed up and mixed up life. Did you know that? He, he's the only one. He's got, he is ready and he's got the power to save your soul, to empower you with power from on high. And he's made all the necessary arrangements and it, he not only made the arrangement, he paid for it already. He's already footed the bill not just for your salvation but for your sanctification and for your changing and growing. And if nothing's happening in your life, if there's no miraculous transformation in your heart, in your home, it's not God's fault. Guess what? It's probably not even the church's fault. It's your fault because here's what you need to do. Here's what I need to do. Respond. We need to respond to God. He's not going to make you like a robot or me like a robot or or a puppet or or a slave like that and force anything. It's It's a relationship of love. He's proved his love to us. He wants you out of love to respond, to respond to him. We begin to realize who he is and we bow before him in worship and repentance and we respond. So he sent you this RSVP. So, uh, respond very soon. Okay. Do that. That's what he's waiting on. All right. So let's look at the situation here. Are you ready? Look back at verse one. Now he start when he's, when he began to say all these great things, I want you to know he didn't start that way because who thinks that the world's a mess? Huh? And because the world's such a mess, it gets messy living in it. There's stresses, there's problems, there's hassles. It seems like evil is being rewarded and good is being punished. It seems like sometimes I try to do right and do and follow God and be honest and I don't come out ahead. I come out behind and I see people who are breaking the law and I see people who are doing this and that and they're getting by with it. So what's the use? Huh? Been there? You know, I try to just do this and this and it just seems like nothing is working out the way I think it should, right? That's the problem. Well, welcome to the club. Verse one, he starts out just making a true statement. It's a true statement. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. All right, Israel, that, at that time, those were his called out people, his chosen people. Called out people, the word called out in the Greek is ekklesia. The English translation is church. You've been saved, you've, you've answered his call, and you've received Christ. You're part of the called out. You're part of the chosen people. All right, so this applies to us in our context today. And that day it was Israel that he had separated out, he had called out. And says he, he says, God is good. I know. All right. Now, sometimes I don't see it. And sometimes my mind gets to thinking, maybe it's not true. But I'm just going to start out by saying, all right, I know this. I know God is good to his people. I know it. And those that are pure in heart, because sometimes if you're not pure in heart, things can get a little tough. And that may be one of the things you got and I got to deal with first as we try to draw closer to God is some things in our heart that isn't pure and he wants to deal with. And he's doing you a favor by 
causing you to have to deal with it because it's just going to result in you being closer and experiencing that deepness and that power that comes from that closeness with him. Um, so he says, I know that. All right, so look, look. He says that, verse 1. But then he says, but as for me, verse 2. I know this is true, but now i got to tell you something about me. He says, look at it, verse 2. My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Man, I'm walking along. You ever, and it's not that I have totally fallen, but there's going to be times as we're walking along. You, you trip, and man, I mean, it just seems like I just keep trying. I can't get my bounce. Now, I'm just all over the place. You know, I'm bouncing off the walls. I'm just like, whoop, whoop, whoop. You know, you ever do that? You don't just fall. You just keep tripping, blip, 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 and then finally maybe you do. He says, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm going along, and boy, I trip. I, that's why I trip over my own feet, you know. There was a magic. I was there in Cincinnati at the, at the convention deal, and I walked, I walked out this little door. And there was a little thing like that. For some reason, I drug my toe, and there was this lady that's kind of like security lady sitting there. And when I come out, I, I did that. I tripped, and um, it, uh, it was right there where you go through that little tunnel going in. You know, I mean, not tunnel, but that, that little walkthrough. Some of you guys will remember from the convention center to that hotel. And, and I, I, I tripped, and I was just like, you know, making a scene there. And, and the lady is just, you know, she can't help but laugh at me. I mean, you know. <laughs> And uh, I didn't end up getting hurt or anything, but it was kind of funny the way I just happened to drag my toe and, and I tripped and lost my balance. And I should have just went like down, but I kept trying to recover. And, and, and you know, I had some pretty acrobatic scenes, you know, um, got my back out of joint. But anyway, this guy's saying in my spiritual walk, I stumbled, man. I tripped up. Why? What caused this? Asaph, tell us. What is it that caused you to stumble as you're going along believing God is good to his people and, and, and to those that are pure of heart and that he's going to bless you? What is it? Well, he tells us. He says, for I was envious. I got an envy problem. I got an attitude problem. He said, I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So I looked at these things, and it began to bother me because I, I, I got to tell you, I'm looking around. I'm getting a bad attitude because I see people who don't believe in God and people who don't love God or people who know God, and they're just doing their own thing, and they're boastful about it. They're boastful. They're arrogant. They're loud mouths. They're smart alex. And they seem to prosper. They're wicked, and they seem to prosper. Here's a principle that I want to lay out here as we go through this, and it's up there. We cannot accurately interpret the true situation regarding God, the world, or ourselves without responding to God's invitation to know him deeply. When I get my focus off of the Lord and I begin to look at this stuff, it gets out of whack. And you're going to see that here. Because when he looks at the world around him, all of a sudden, I don't get it, Lord. I was envious at the boastful or at the arrogant, the foolish. The, the, and, 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 and so the word is, is a word of boasting that means that it is a word that is often used of worshiping God. But instead, they're worshiping themselves and, 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 and doing their own thing. And they were being foolish. So here they are going against all the Bible teaches. And they're living in sin is what they're doing. And, 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 and it looks like they're better off. Huh? Have you ever seen that? I mean, they're, they're going against everything, and they're doing their own thing, and they're arrogant about it, and it looks like, Lord, why don't you defend yourself? Why don't you teach them a lesson? And it's not happening. It seems like they got a better, easier life than you. Look how he goes through this and begins to explain in these verses that he, he looks at. it. He says in, in um, verse 4, he says, there are no, I mean, they live that way. And then when they die, they don't even, it, 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 easy death. 
They just slip right away. There are no pains in their death, but their strength is firm. I mean, it seems like they live this way, and they're healthy, and strength is firm right up till they die. They died easy death. And I've been seeing that happen to some of my brothers and sisters. Okay, yes, the Bible does talk about the fact that even though you're a good person and you serve God, some unfair things can happen. But this is just a vapor we're living in here. This isn't the eternity, right? It's going to happen just here for a little while. And there's times it seems like those who are wicked are prospering, and they've got it easy, and, and, and they're, but they're not blessed. And we're going to get to that. Blessings aren't all what you think they are. And too many times in the church, we're focusing on the physical, fleshly things. If you just get right with God and slip a little extra money in on a plate, you know, you'll be healthy and happy and have all this, you know. It's not about that always. I mean, you live God's way, you know, <laughs> life works the way he set it up, right? But sometimes you can do everything right, and you're still going to have persecution. You're going to have tough things happen. Things are going to wear out, break down. You're going to have problems, Okay. But he says, I'm looking at these wicked people. So right here is, is the thing. He says, you know, I'm not seeing this happening even in my life for those around me. I'm seeing them suffer and go without stuff and have problems and then have a long sickness and a painful death. But I look at the wicked and I see a lot of them and then things just go easy for them. In verse 5, he says, they are not in trouble. They don't have all these problems that, that others have. They're not plagued like other men. They, and, and said they don't have the, like, like we're here, we're trying to serve God, and we got more problems than they do. Does that happen? Yeah, it does. Then he says, there, verse 6, therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. I mean, they're not only proud, they wear, pride, they wear their pride like a necklace that they want to display. And like their best garment that they're sharpest clothes, that's what they, I mean, that's just like violence. That covers them like, I mean, it's just all over. They're just, they're violent. I mean, they will, they will take you down if you get in their way and they won't think twice about it and they're proud of themselves for what they did. The lies they told about you, the things, and this is happening to good people and they're bad people and they seem like coming out ahead. He goes on, he says, verse 7, their eyes bulge with abundance. I mean, here, I'm in trouble feeding my family, we could say. I have trouble scraping it together. My kids are hungry, but look at them. They're, they're so fat and sassy, their eyes are about to pop out because they're so fat. That's what that means. Their eyes bulge. With abundance. They have more than heart could wish, it says, verse 7. And not only that, they scoff. I mean, they mock us. And it says, and they speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak lofty. They're proud. They're bragging about what they're doing. They're doing wrong, and they're talking smack. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, where you playing baseball, where you're in basketball or whatever it is, somebody's talking smack, you know. You want to like, okay, we're just going to show you. We're just going to show you, right? Only, I can't show them. <laughs> because everything keeps going kind of rough with me, and I'm going through trials, and they just keep prospering, and they're bragging about it. That messes with your head, doesn't it? So he's saying, Lord, I'm looking around, and this is what I'm seeing, and, and it doesn't seem like it's fair. It doesn't seem like it's right, and i got a bad attitude. In fact, I even find myself envying them and how easy they got it. And um, not, only, not only that, they blaspheme God. So there's the world now. God, you're letting them, what, what are you letting them do this? Verses 10 and 11, he says, and verse 9 actually says, they set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. I mean, they are such blabber mouths and they are such big mouths. I mean, it's like their tongue is just like walking through the whole world. I mean, they're, they're, just, they're, just, they're just big mouth and they're, they're, even, they're even talking against the heavens, against God. And... 
verse 10, it has, a, it has an effect. It says, therefore his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. That's kind of a saying that they would have. People are drawn to it. People return there. And what they're saying, they're drinking it in like somebody drinking all the water out of a cup. They're draining it to the last drop. People are influenced by this. It's what he's saying. About what? What are they doing? What are they saying? Well, he tells us, are you still with me? Are you following along in the word? Yeah, you got to do that. It won't work. All right, verse 11. So here's what, what are they saying? What are they doing? What, what, what words are we drinking out of there? Verse 11 tells us, and they say, he tells us what they say. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? God doesn't know. God doesn't know or they don't believe in God. God doesn't see what I'm doing. They don't care. I mean, they're just, they're just mocking God and yet they're still getting richer and they're still staying healthy and they think God doesn't exist or that God doesn't see or that God doesn't care. Wow, the writer's view of God's getting a little distorted here. You can tell he's thinking like, God, why don't you do something? Why you let this go on? Um, He goes on to say in verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly, look what he says, who are always at ease, they increase in riches. Now you see the problem concerning himself. Get a wrong view of the, uh, get your, your view distorted off of God you, you, the way you're looking at the world it gets messed up like his is right here so I told you he didn't start out like he ended up didn't I <sighs> and then you get looking wrongly and thinking wrongly about self look what he says next verse 13 very carefully look at this surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence what's the use I mean, what's the use of me trying to be pure and holy and live for God and keep my hands clean? And then he goes on to say, verse 14, For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. I mean, I've been plagued. I've been having trials. I've been having rough times. I've been having illnesses. I've been having problems all day. I mean, it's every day. He's going through a time, isn't he? And even during those times, you can get down. But you know what? Sometimes the best thing to do is to lay it out there before God. And, and, and you know, there's times I've, we've talked about that. You say, well, I can't talk to God about that. I, 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 my attitude and things that I'm thinking and things like that, I couldn't tell God. You think he doesn't know? It's not that, it's not that you're telling him something he doesn't know, like, like, like you know, you're going to inform him. You need to hear it. Right? You need to get it out there. I promise you, he can handle it. Even if you're angry at God, he can handle it. But you need to let it out, right? You know, there's that way a lot of times, even our relationships, sometimes there's these things we need to just, we need to air it out. We need to let it out. And God's inviting us to do that. Just let it out, air it out. And that's what he's doing. He's airing it out right here. And, and God's not up there going, oh, what? I didn't know that. Of course he knows it. You're not going to surprise him. You need to know it. You need to deal with it. You need to hear it. But he says, not only am I plagued all the time and going through this stuff, but I'm chastened. Now, that means to be disciplined. Okay, just get this. You really decide you want to live for God and let God live through you. Sometimes some of these surface things get worse. Yeah. And then there's the added thing of the devil sometimes does leave you alone because he wants you to stay comfortable and coasting right on into hell or to just be ineffective. But God uh, is our father. He's a perfect father. You know, it's often been said the heavenly father doesn't have any spoiled children. He disciplines because he sees eternity. 
He can let us struggle now when we don't understand why and how because he sees what's going to happen forever, okay? You just got a perspective of God, knowing who he is. He's eternal. He sees eternity. We're thinking about the here and now and what I want right now. We're like spoiled little babies. We want this right now, and I'm going to throw a fit if I don't get what I want right now from God. God sees forever. And sometimes if you want to get all of this forever, you can't have that here now or you're going to have to struggle through this, or I'm going to have to get your attention. And, you know, the Lord knows that I do listen to pain really well. And we're talking about the different illnesses and sicknesses. I mean, I hate that. I got to tell you, I do. Even though I'm really tough, aren't I, hon? No, you see, like the strongest, bravest men turn into the biggest babies when we get sick. You know, and I feel like sickness is coming on. I'll start, you know, like, oh, God, please help me. Lord, I start confessing every sin or attitude I can think of, Lord, and all this and all that. Just please don't let me get sick right here, right now. You know, things like, every, am I the only one? Nobody knows what I'm talking about. But I listened to pain. Pain was always, you know, my, my, growing up, my brothers would listen to reason a little bit. But my dad would tell you it took a little bit of infliction, infliction, infliction of pain on my backside to get my brain to activate at times. I was just that type, but it worked real well. Difference between discipline and abuse, by the way, right? But God chastens. That means disciplines, all right? Are you ready? Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, talks about that in Hebrews 12, verse 5. He says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. You may not like it. Nobody likes it. He says, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by God. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. No one likes it when it's happening. But that's what he's saying. God, you're chasing me. You are actually the cause of some tough stuff in my life because you're, you're disciplining me. And trying to teach me. And he says, says, when you are rebuked by him, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. In fact, he says, if you know you're getting out of line later on in that teaching, he says, and you're not being chastened by the Lord, it proves you're not really a son. You're illegitimately calling yourself a son. And you're not real son or daughter. So that's not pleasant, is it? It's tough. And so then he says that. Oh, this is kind of, I'm, kind of, this, I'm glad it doesn't end there, aren't you? I'm glad. I'm glad I read the last part first. So you're like, okay, are you still with me? All right. He says in verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus. Now, Lord, I'm telling you, but man, if I just went, I said, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. If I go on and talk like this, I'll betray your people. I, and so, not everything that's felt in the heart ought to be said through the mouth. He hits rock bottom in verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, now I know, like I said, God's good to his people. But I can't understand this. And when, verse 16, I thought how to, look what he says, it was too painful for me. I can't do it. I'm just hurting, and I'm messed up and mixed up, and it's too painful for me. He's at the bottom, isn't he? Discouragement. The old Pilgrim's Progress, if you ever read that, he's in the slough of despond. That's dangerous, and who hasn't been there? Huh? It's going to happen. That's why this is in the Word of God. It's either happened, or it's happening, or it's going to happen. You're going to go through this. There's an old fable. It's not real, okay? It's just a story. All right. There's an old fable that says the devil once had a yard sale. 
That sounds funny, doesn't it? But anyway, listen. He said he offered up some of the tools of his trade to anyone who would pay their price. They were spread out on the table, and everyone was labeled. There was hatred, malice, envy, despair, sickness, sensuality. All the weapons that everyone knows so well. But off to the side lay a harmless-looking wood-shaped instrument marked discouragement. It was old and worn-out-looking, but it was priced far above all the rest. When asked the reason why, the devil replied, it's because I use this one more than any of the other ones. No one actually knows that it belongs to me. So I can sneak in with it and I can open doors with it that are tightly bolted against all of the others. But once I get inside, I can use any of the other tools I want. Mm. So that's the situation, okay? All right. Are you ready for the solution? How about it? I don't want to stop there, man. You got to say right now, if you've never said it in your thought in your life, don't stop the sermon now. Okay? The solution. All right. There he was. Too painful for me. Until, verse 17. Praise God. He says, until, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood. Until I got a fresh glimpse of God and who he really is, and it changed everything. I went to the sanctuary. That means that place that's set apart for worship of God and for learning about God. In his day, it happened to be in the temple, that place. He said, I didn't, listen, that's another thing. You see how far down he was? I don't feel like getting out of bed. I'm not going to go down there to church. I can't stand to listen to that guy. I can't, oh, the music's too loud. Or I don't, those hypocrites or all of that. You could think of that. I'm telling you, it is not hard to think of excuses that are pretty good of why not to show up. But he went. Probably it is the times that you least want to go is when you need to go the most. When you least want to pray, you need to pray the most. When you least want to get in the Word, you need to get in it the most. You're letting the devil work you over. But he went. So you see how low he was, but he went. And he said, this was my situation. And it didn't change until I gathered with a place set apart for the worship of God, and boom, everything changed. And this probably happened again two or three weeks later, right? You know what I'm saying? It's not like, I'm fixed, I'm good. You know, we're, we're continually, it's a continual thing. We continue to grow, we continue to trust him. He got a fresh glimpse of God and who he really is, and everything changed. It's at the times when we're the lowest that we, as I said, need to worship the most. We need to seek his presence, because when I'm lowest, he is the highest. Sometimes I'm failing to see how high he is until I finally realize how low I am. I, I need, I, sometimes I need to be like shown the floor, right? So then I will look up. And when I'm the weakest, he's the strongest. Paul talked about boasting in his infirmities. Paul evidently had some struggles physically. And he said, when I'm weak, he's strong. And sometimes whenever I'm feeling strong and all like I'm on top of the world, I get my eyes off God. Huh? Amen? Anybody say that? It's true. But he says, that's why he said that I'll boast in my weakness. And, and when I'm weakest, he is the strongest. And when I'm the quietest, he speaks the loudest. And when I'm at the end of the rope, I've often said, when you get to the end of the rope, just tie a knot in it and start swinging. No, 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 no. No, when you get to the end of your rope and you finally say, God, I'm at the end of my rope. Guess when he says, here, take hold of mine. Amen? And his rope never ends. 
Okay, so sometimes I won't let go until I get to the end of the rope and I finally realize there's no other way. So God does you a favor by getting you and that's part of what is coming out here. He's saying that then, not only was my burden gone, my negative attitude gone, my depression gone, my happiness restored, my joy returned, but he says something else. He says, I got it. I understood. Did you see that? I understood how this ends. I saw the big picture. It began to make sense. Not only are those who follow the way of the world really following the devil, but they're blinded by him to the salvation of the, of the gospel. They're also blinded to their own destruction. I see it. The devil will mess with your mind. They're not, I don't envy them a bit now because I see how this ends. I understood their end. Now, let's look at the significance and wrap this up. Are we ready? He says in verse 18... Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. I see that now. Oh, how they are brought to desolation in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. Like they're riding all high, but you know what? They're going to die just like everybody else. At some point, they're going to have to stand before you, God. And it can happen in a moment. It says, as a dream, when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you will despise their image. There is a judgment day coming. And it may seem like life's a dream. One of these days, it's going to be over. It may seem like God's asleep, but believe me, he's waking up, and you're going to have to deal with it. He's going to deal with you. Everybody in the world needs to know this, that we're all going to have to stand before him. And then he goes on. Yeah, so he sees the truth about the wicked. Do you see that? Remember, he was off about that. Now he sees the truth about it in verses 18 through 20. And then he changes his view of himself. Watch this. So he said, what's the use? It's in vain that I do... Listen to this. He says, Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. My heart and my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like some dumb animal. That's what he says. I was like a beast before you in verse 22. Doesn't it sound like something's happening here? What does it sound like? It sounds like all of a sudden when he began to see it, began to see God as he is, as he had worshipped him, that all of a sudden I not only understood that, I understood something about me and I was ashamed. I was under conviction. Do you see that? Do you not see repentance here? My heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I, Lord, I realized I was like, a, I was, I was like a, a dumb ox, you know? I don't know what, you know, before you. He begins to see it, changes his view of himself. Only when we see God as he really is can we see ourselves as we really are. And it's good to know that even when we doubt and become weak, God stands firm and we are with him because, listen, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you? Okay, just want to be sure. You got to get this. So there's repentance happening in verse 22. Nevertheless, verse 23, I am continually with you and you hold me by my right hand. Now I'm right-handed, that's my strong arm. You're holding on to my right hand. I am continually, even through all of this, I was with you. Uh, and, 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 and so... It, even though I was stumbling and tripping along, Lord, you never left. You were right there. Lord, you helped me. You, you began to, you, you held on me. That Psalm 37 up there says this, verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way. Though he fall. Did you hear that? He's going to do some tripping. He may slip and he may, listen. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. And that's what he's saying. He holds on to my right hand. <laughs> you thought you were holding on. He's holding on. Amen. 
Amen. It's kind of like the little boy and his daddy going to cross a busy street. And the daddy said, now listen, you hold on real tight. You hold on to me real tight. You got it? God's telling you to hold on tight. But as they got in the street, here come a car speeding, popped up over the hill. And the dad grabbed a hold of his arm right there and lifted him up and put his other arm around him and took two, three big leaps and got across to the sidewalk and set the boy down. Close call. Car goes by. And the little boy looked up and said, I held on real good, didn't I, Daddy? Yeah, Daddy was the one that picked him up. And you know what's happening. There's times you come through the storm and everything and you get through. It was scary. It was treacherous. And you say, well, Lord, I held on real good, didn't I? But that's exactly what happened. He grabbed a hold of you when you didn't even know he was around. You know it? You weren't sensing. You were focused somewhere else instead of on him. But he was focused on you. That's a good thing. We get our mind off. We get on the world and the situation. We get on ourselves. We get on all this stuff. But God is focused on you. And he doesn't let go. And so that changes the focus of his mind. Because now he says, all this seems crazy, but verse 24, he says, you will guide me with your counsel. It is your word that's going to guide I'm through with trusting myself and my reasoning. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust only what your word and the counsel, Lord. I'm back to focusing on your truth. When you know God, he can make you sleep in troubled waters. When you know God and you have no money, you know that's not the last word. When you know God and your enemies move against you, you understand that they will not make the final decision. When you lack the assurance and confidence that comes from knowing him and knowing who you are in him, what happens is then you become a slave to what other people think about you. You become a slave to your circumstances. You become a slave to your emotions. You become a slave to other people's rules and not God's counsel. You become a slave to other people's expectations. You become a slave to almost anything. And watch out when you say, well, I think. Well, I think God said, don't lean on your own understanding, but in every way, trust in the Lord, right? Trust in him. In the last part of that verse, he says, not only will you guide me with your counsel, but afterward, receive me into glory. I see the big picture. I see you're going to receive me into glory. It tightened his grip on eternity. I'm going to put myself in your hands and rely on you to guide me through this wicked world. Is that when I'm done, I know you're going to receive me into glory. It might be hell on earth here at times, but there's glory forever. Yeah, more than makes up for it. And then it changed the focus of his strength. It changed the focus on the strength of his strength. Verse 25, it says, Whom I, and This is where we started, right? We're back. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is none upon earth that I desire by, but you. The focus of his strength. Because he says, My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Changed the whole focus on him. And he's my strength. He's my rock. He's my foundation. Verse 27 says, Indeed, those who are far from you shall perish, and you have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. They go off after other gods. He sees the significance of his knowing God. He sees the significance. He says, but it's good for me to draw near to God. All those people may leave, like all my family, all my friends, they may turn their back on you, but I understand now how that's going to end up. But me, see, you got to make your decision. Your family can't make your decision for you. No one else can make, I can't make the decision for you. You have to say, but for me, I'm making my decision that I'm going to draw closer to God. I may be all messed up in my thinking, and I, as, as, as my good buddy Troy Sadowski says, that's stinking thinking. 
that stinking thinking. And you might have stinking thinking today, but I'm done with that. I'm going to focus on you, Lord, and I'm making the decision myself. But as for me, I will draw. It's good for me to draw close to the Lord. It's good. You need this. I'm going to draw close. Worship is always. So he breaks forth in worship. He just worships God. It restored his worship, but it also restored his witness because he says, it's good for me to draw near to the Lord. I put my trust in the Lord God. I'm not trusting what I'm seeing even. Trust in the Lord God. Why? It restored his witness. I'm going to testify. I'm going to tell others. So now there's that. Now God's working through me, not just in me. I'm going to declare all your wonderful works. Do you see how that happened? Draw near to God. And James 4, 8, he will draw near to you. He's waiting for you to make a move. You're not waiting on God for anything. God's already done everything that needs to be done. He's waiting on you. Quit making excuses. Quit trying to rationalize and justify and respond. He says, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's going to happen. He wants to cleanse you. And that takes out of the way the things that's separating you and him. But you've got to draw near. It starts by you drawing near. Did you notice the, the psalmist went full circle? He confessed his state of weakness and confusion, and then he made a beeline to the Lord. Did you notice the repentance that he had in verses 21 and 22? Did you notice how high he was riding at the end? It's because he responded to God. And even though he stumbled, he really didn't get that far away because he went into the sanctuary. And that sanctuary can be anywhere for you and can be here as well because he says not to forsake gathering together with brothers and sisters. But if you really know God, do you want to get that far away from him? I mean, really, if you know him, why would you want to get that far away from him? It reminded me of a little boy who was riding his bicycle around the block and around the block. And a police officer had been seen pass three or four times. And he finally stopped and said, hey, son, why do you keep riding around the same block? What are you doing? He said, well, I'm running away. And he said, well, you're running away. And he said, how can you be running away? You keep going around the same block. Because he said, my mom told me I couldn't cross that street. <laughs> I'm mad at my mom and I want her to think I'm running away. But he's afraid to cross the street. It reminds me of an old guy named Ben Baker back home. I was a... Six, 15-year-old boy, I answered a call to preach, and I started preaching a lot. In time I was 15, 16, 17 years old, Ben and his wife, Virgie, used to follow me. I mean, they would, I don't know how they'd even find out. I, I, I preached most Sundays, it seemed like. I mean, I didn't have too many times I wasn't preaching somewhere, even when I was 16 years old, in the little country churches and filling in, because they couldn't, you know, pastors had trouble finding people to fill in. And I would show up on a Sunday night and at, at some country church down a, way down a dirt road, and I would be in there, just a few people, and all of a sudden, here come Ben and Virgie into the... I mean, they were old. I, I mean, it seemed like they were 100 years old, but I was just 16, so... But anyway, Ben and Virgie, I mean, you know what that meant to a kid? That they would go to all that trouble, and they would hunt me down, and they showed up. And sometimes I preached the same sermon at that church that I'd preached somewhere else the week before, you know, they didn't have that many of them, and they would, boy, they would just encourage me, and they were singers, they had a quartet way back there, in fact, Virgie's uncle was a guy named Luther G. Presley, and some of you know who that is, a famous songwriter and compiler of uh, hymnals and stuff like that, anyway, so uh, Ben and Virgie, and, and I, the last time I visited with them, Sorry, they both passed on. But the last time I visited with him, I remember stopping by. And he's talking about his life and talking about following the Lord and talking about everything. And he said, now, I want you to know there have been plenty of times that, that I got out of sorts. He said, there's been t- plenty of times I've stumbled. He said, there's been plenty of times that I've wandered out where I shouldn't be. But he looked at me and he said, 
And you'd have to know in his just simple country way, he said, but I never got out of hollering distance, right? You know, he never got just like a little kid. You get out, you know, you want to, you know, you want to get out and play and stuff, but you want to, you don't want to get out of holler distance because you're going to be saying, mama or dad, help. He said, I never got out of hollering distance. So he was saying that same thing. Why would you want to? Why would you want to? He'll always be faithful to you. And listen, what you see sometimes isn't the way it really is. If you're going to get the real of how it is, you need to get into the counsel of God and his word and into the sanctuary and into worship and draw close to him. That's how you do it. And then I understand. I get it. Pray with me.